Well, welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back, is what I always say. I started to think about saying something. I was thinking about our opening phrase the other day, and I noticed the problem is that we welcome people back, and we also tell them our name. Listen, if you've been here before, you probably know our name. If you haven't been here, it's not a welcome back. It's welcome. Welcome for the first time. That's true. So I don't know. I didn't think. Good. Uh, you know, so, makes it seem silly. I was like, hang on. Welcome back. My name's Tony. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's see, well, I'm just trying to do both. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. So what's your new tagline? I haven't figured it out. I'll okay. probably just say, just g'day, mate. what's up, everyone? Okay. <laughs> Glad you're here. Uh, not much else in the way of housekeeping, I guess. Tony's going to workshop oh, a new phrase. Yeah, I'm working, workshopping that. No, the only other thing is housekeeping is, um, you can probably hear I'm a little bit honky. So apologies in advance. We're going to record a few conversations here. So the next couple episodes, probably, you might hear me sniffling or spluttering off mic. I'll do my best to edit it out, but bear with me. Honky is a derogatory term for white people sometimes. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Is it spelled the same? Like what a horn does? Like a honk? Like honky? H-O-N-K-Y? I do think so. And sorry, it it means dorky white people? Yeah, yeah. So like you are honky. I think someone would say that. Yeah, yeah some would. <laughs> huh. I just meant it sounds kind of like right. nasally and <laughs> just, anyway. It's really funny. Okay. okay. What um, are we talking about today, dude? I think I'd like to talk about omniscience, uh, God's knowledge. What does he know? Uh, so omniscience is this view in Christian theology uh, that God knows everything. Omni is all. Uh, scientia is Latin for uh, to know, so to know all, omniscience. Very common to get the the three omnis or or the four omnis. Oh, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipowerful. Is that it? Omnipotent. Omnipotent. What am I saying? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and omnibenevolent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that comes pretty standard, packed in with like common Christian theology. And we would want to dive a bit deeper on this one, narrow our focus to omniscience, mm-hmm. God's knowledge. He knows everything. Yeah, and it, the history of it would be, uh, I mean. Many would say they find it in scripture, but uh-huh. you you really get a, a a pretty clear commitment to that in Anselm in the 1100s. Right. He is offering what's called perfect being theology. So the right way to conceive of God is that than which none greater can be conceived. So whatever you can think of, whatever the whatever the greatest thing you can think of is, that's God. So if you think of a being that's like just knows a little bit. Well, wouldn't it be greater to know more than that and more than that and more than that and more than until, until you get all? Mm-hmm. Or wouldn't it be great if there was a being that was powerful? Or what about a little more powerful? So that's how you get all these, you know, maximal properties. Yeah, of, just the limit case of like yeah. knowledge. So, so every good or great type of property to have, the collection of all of those in their maximal form, that's what God is. Wow. So among them would be omniscience, all knowing. That's kind of, yeah. And from there, that's been kind of the standard view. I don't know if this will be too much of a rabbit trail. So if it is, just say Mm -hmm. another time, Tony, and we'll do it another time. But I am noticing there, does your uh, Neptunian search for God, epistemology of God, uh, is that at odds with Anselm's greatest conceivable being? Is he Mm -hmm. setting the search terms too high to begin with? I do dedicate about 10 pages of the first chapter to it. Brilliant. Okay. So there's a main competitor. I think it's for another time, but yeah, I mean, the gist would be, uh, 
the the being described by perfect being theology, all those maximal properties, I think it's very well could be the case that God is that way. Yeah. I just, I think for the purpose of uh, skeptical agnostic folks uh, that are trying to find out if God exists, that you've set the search terms too stringently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. All right, so om- omniscience, though, is what we're going to be focusing on today. Yeah, and a reason to think about it, like maybe you're like, okay, guys, hold on a minute. What does this have to do at all with my everyday life, and why does this matter? Why are you talking about it? Well, I mean, at least for those, I mean, even if you're atheist or agnostic, you might still find the topics interesting. Uh, philosophy journals are littered with people that are not committed to a faith but write about these things. Uh, but if you are a person of faith and it, like, uh, committed generally to Christian theology, the doctrine of, of omniscience creates some tension with other commonly held theological beliefs. Mm-hmm. The one I really want to focus on most is it seems at odds a bit with human free will. So a lot of us um, are committed to that, that human beings can genuinely choose among a range of options and the future is open. Uh, it could go Uh, several different ways. The problem is if your view of omniscience includes the future, like God knows all past, present and future things that shall come to pass, Mm -hmm. then it's so, so it's kind of like this. If God knows what I'm going to do tomorrow, don't I have to do it? Cause God, because presumably God can't be wrong. That would, that would really Mm -hmm. violate some perfect being theology. Uh, so yeah, I should say too, baked into the traditional notion of omniscience, not only is it that God knows everything, but that God must know everything, mm-hmm. um, that it's an essential part of God's nature to know. It's not that it's not Jesus happens to know it as though God has guessed, um, or even has done a good job of inferring, but it's yeah. just part of God's inherent nature to know all. Yeah. So it's in, so God's infallible, can't be wrong. Wow. On the traditional view again. And so if God can't be wrong about his beliefs and his knowledge, and his beliefs include things I'm going to do later, then I have to do them, or else I'll prove God to be wrong and violate his nature, which is impossible to do. Yeah. And thus I am forced into doing things, and I do not have free will. That's the argument. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of a fatalism. It's just whatever he knows you are destined to do. Well, so, and just with uh, a little logic review, uh, once you derive a contradiction, now it's up to you as the reasoner, you have to abandon one of the assumptions. Yep. So do you abandon free will or do you abandon omniscience? Mm -hmm. Or at least... (coughs) Or change what you mean by omniscience to not include future events. Good. Yeah. Well, might as well go there. Which I mean, the- I didn't occur to me as an option until pretty late in the game. Like, I I remember, oh, man, I was probably like 18 at the time. Those of you who have heard my story know that was sort of a turning point for me looking at natural theology. And I was kind of first deconstructing and reconstructing the Jenga Tower. Then had a guy who was leading my small group at the time who was uh, an open theist. Oh. And mm. um, I think he was kind of a closeted open theist. But we would grab lunch from time to time. And I remember bringing to him some of my wrestlings with this uh, divine foreknowledge and human freedom. You were a teenager. 
Yeah, that, this is what I was struggling with at like 17, okay. 18. It's divine foreknowledge and human freedom, <laughs> yeah. especially because I was, you know, oscillating between like Calvinism and Arminianism and trying to work out, especially as it relates to salvation. Like if God knows somebody is going to reject him and go to hell, why even create them in the first place? If you mm. know that's what's happening, you'd be more merciful never creating them was some of what I was going through. And I'm not the typical teenage. Angst. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if you for a church kid, maybe though, yeah, I reckon yeah, there'd be a lot enough. of church kids out there who around that age start to go, hang on, what, how does this all stack up? Mm-hmm. And he kind of warned me at the time. He was like, look, I've come to think about this a certain way that would require a large restructuring of all of your beliefs. But I've at the moment I'm, I've landed in open theism and he laid that out for me. And I remember at the time thinking it was so problematic and so preposterous that God mm-hmm. might not know the future. Like that was so bedrock for me that God has written this story from eternity past. He knows how it's going to end. He has a plan for me. He has a future <laughs> laid out for me, sort of waiting out there for me. I am the me. alpha and omega. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the beginning from the end and um, mm-hmm. thinking about him as being outside of time. We can talk about that. What does that even sure. mean? But but for a long time, that is what I thought. It's God sort of stands, he created time or something. So he's sort of outside of it. Um, and can see the whole timeline, like a back to the future, you know, um, that I didn't take the view seriously until a few years ago when, again, my Jenga tower crumbled and I had to start rebuilding. I'm like, hang on, maybe I should take a look at Rob's uh, mm. open theism that he talked to me about. Did you ever, day. like, reach back out to him at all? Or No, I haven't spoken to him in okay, years. Okay. If you're listening to this, Rob, appreciate you planting that seed years ago. Thank you. <laughs> So how, um, okay, let's, let's unpack it further. Open theism. Who, how, how do you, I guess you brought up some concerns. Like I don't, yeah. it was a bridge too far. Well, my main concern was if I'm looking, if I'm hoping that God can guarantee me a destiny of some kind, whether it's eternal salvation, life with him in the afterlife, mm. if, if he's going to promise me anything and is to be trusted, then I, I want him to know what he's talking about. <laughs> like I want him to know where this thing's headed. Yeah. I want him to have a strategy and a plan that I can count on. Um, and there was something about like open theism, seeing God more as the master chess player who doesn't know how the game will end, but he's bloody good at playing it. And he's like, you're not going to out-strategize him. Um, there was something that just left a little too much wiggle room for me. I didn't like it. I wanted mm-hmm. the certainty. I want to know... He, he knows what I will be doing in the year 2050 and he's got a whole plan for how my life will be and why it will be good and the future he wants me to step into. That is way more comforting than actually the future's unknown, even to God, but he has your best interests at heart and he's got a lot of power and he's going to intervene however he yeah. does. So, uh, And as it goes with many of these things, there's a whole discussion to be had about what does the biblical record yeah. say about it. And for the most part on this podcast, I'll try to punt on some of that only yeah. because to me, there are just so many assumptions that go into biblical interpretation that they deserve their own hearing. And we've done that elsewhere in different episodes. Mm-hmm. But just when you come to the Bible with a certain view of what it is and what it's doing, yep. then you may be more or less prone to saying that the biblical record does indicate omniscience so for example like in the story of joseph let's say i don't know there's so many yeah um anything where there's like a prophetic nature to it 
you might say, well, God had to know the future of, in the story of Joseph, sorry, for those who do not, don't know. Um, so Joseph and his family uh, eventually get to Egypt and that's where like the Israelites eventually get enslaved. And then you have that story of the Exodus way down the line. But prior to that, Joseph uh, is imprisoned and in order to curry favor with the Pharaoh or the king uh, is able to interpret some dreams and what they mean. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that uh, Joseph <laughs> relied on receiving a word of knowledge from God about the meaning of these dreams. And it meant that you're going to have seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt and you need to store up and save the surplus because there's going to be seven years of famine. So for the story, for the story to work, God needed to know that that was going to happen, this yeah, famine. To give the warning. And to tell Joseph about it in, you know, in the past or in the present to warn the king. Yeah. So, of course, though, I get that the logic of the story requires that God is omniscient. But we can wonder then, like above that text, uh, do I need to think that God is um, – or or maybe another word we can introduce now is foreknowledge, yeah. knowledge of the future, which most people would include in omniscience. Uh, does God really have foreknowledge or is this a story that's being told for a certain time and place? And everyone thought that God was that way. And so it was baked into the story. You know, there's different, yep. we're bringing different things to the table here and you could, there's so much scripture that d- seems like God does know quite a bit about the future. Well, th- Yeah. Again, I don't think we need to belabor the point, but as I read it, I see an assortment of views laid out okay, in say Scripture. More. I mean, there's other times when he doesn't seem to know uh, what he's going to do and his mind is able to be changed about things. Mm-hmm. You know, like God's mind is able to be changed. He doesn't even know what he's going to do. Um, there's so- just, there's a, uh, <laughs> just a couple of examples just because we gave one for the other view. Um, the story of the flood is pretty notable here. Like... Mm-hmm. God seems like disappointed, angry mm-hmm. that humanity has become so corrupt by gen- the time Genesis five or six rolls around um, that he decides to destroy humanity. Right. Like uh, save he feels Noah remorse. and the family. Yeah. 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 I shouldn't have created. I regret them. creating. Yeah. So yeah. that's strange on total omniscience. Why do you have Why regret? have any regrets? Don't ever act in a way that you know will cause regret later. <laughs> that's just uh, sound advice. And then this isn't like as fine a point, but um, the interchange with God and Abraham in whether to spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what I had in mind. Yeah, um, the exchange there. And God says, there's this whole exchange where it starts with, is it 50 or? Yeah, if you can find 50 righteous people. And then Abraham keeps whittling down the bargain down yeah. to 10, I think it is. 10 or 1. I don't is know how one? low yeah. it goes. Yeah. But like God's changing his mind throughout. <laughs> and that's a little bit strange too that yeah. if you knew that you were going to, I don't know. Why did you bluff and pretend you were going to slay 50 or or the whole city? Yeah. So it's just an awkward story um, given. Depending on how how much you press it, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. take, I think it serves a useful function in the story to anthropomorphize God to where he's having this relationship and this interaction with a human who has genuine desires and all that. I don't know that you can take it as, okay, we can know that God, God has foreknowledge or God does, God changes mm-hmm. his mind. Right. I think it's more of a story element than it is anything else. But so, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So that being said, like, I mean, I might be ridiculed for saying something like this, but we'll just let the point be moot then on like, does scripture indicate 
whether we should go a certain way on it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's fair. Or, or it's not, another but... conversation. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm really interested on in talking about why, like philosophically, why you might adopt a view like open theism. Yeah. Um, and I think your understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, I think your understanding of time and what that is plays into this. Not my, just one's. One's understanding yeah. of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To where... So, okay. Um, you've got an A theory of time. You've got a B theory of time. Creatively named, just yeah, A sure. and B. Yeah. A theory is the notion that all that is real is the present. Uh, and temporal becoming is real. There is one moment, the present, and that that is what is real. And it's more real in this, in, compared to past and future. Yes. The past no longer exists. Only exists the future as does a not memory exist. in the present. Yes. And the future only exists as an imagination that's taking place in the present. But mm -hmm. all that ever exists is the present. That's A theory. B theory is this idea of the universe as like a loaf or a space-time loaf mm. uh, where you have different, the, the past, present, future, it all exists, uh, but we are just experiencing it subjectively. Like we are at different space-time coordinates in that loaf mm -hmm. that determine uh, the experience that we have. But kind of like um, imagine frames on a roll of film. All the frames exist. They're all there. Yeah. It's just you are just the aperture. Consciousness is the aperture that all the frames run through. All the frames do exist. It's just our subjective experience is mm -hmm. one frame at a time. Um, but nothing really comes into existence or goes out of existence. It's all sort of already there. So it makes uh, it would make more sense to me on a B theory of time that God could know the future. Right. Because all in that, or a simpler way of saying it is the past, present, and future are all equally real. The present isn't privileged in its realness. Um, so all <laughs> moments of time actually exist at, at once. Yeah, see, this is where... <laughs> Gotta you, be careful. It, you uh, do. But, get, you have problems. But, um, you know, you have this God's eye view, God's atemporal above it, looking over it, um, and s can see down the corridor of time. Oh, yeah. Because the future already exists over there, and I'm looking at it, and that's why I know it. That, to me, at least, like, there's obviously some conceptual things to work out, but not, I'm not as, I guess, worried about, like, if that is the case, if the B theory is correct, then God could know the future, because it's a thing that exists. Yeah. Another way of describing omniscience, too, is uh, that God knows everything that's possible to know. Right. And so on B theory, what's possible to know is everything from mm -hmm. all of time, past, present, future. Now on A theory, which I think would be a more intuitive view of what time is like, it's certainly more how we experience it, um, that this moment is more tangibly real than the past or the future. Both of those have a more ethereal texture to them. Uh -huh. uh, they're not realized currently, only the present is. And on, on the A view, the A theory view, uh, it's possible to know the past in virtue of memory, and it's possible to know the future, but there's a real sense in which the future has not yet or ever existed. Yeah, what do you mean? It's, you just said it's possible to know the past. It's possible to know the future. What do you mean? 
It's possible to imagine a future. No, no, no. Sorry. I said I meant you past did, and present. Uh, you did say future. Oh, okay. Forgive me. Good. No, I'm glad we cleared it up because I was getting lost. Uh, past and <coughs> present are possible to know. Yes. That seems yes clear to me. At least in a way that the future, you might argue, is not possible to know in virtue of it not ever existing. Right. Uh, another way of thinking through this is um, just what makes our sentences true. What's called truth makers. So when you utter a sentence, let's say if you're watching on YouTube, you can see our classic red chairs. Uh, if you're just on audio, I would encourage seeing it in its all its glory and the color Very here. Very vibrant. Yeah. Uh, so it's the case that Clint is sitting on a red chair. I've made a statement. I've mm -hmm. made an utterance. Mm -hmm. And it has some content that we can assess the truth of. Uh, what makes that sentence true? Well, what makes it true is that I really am in a red chair. Here it is. It obtains. The state of affairs just is, right? Yep. Um, okay, consider this. I will go to Chipotle later. Okay. What makes that true? Well, it's tough because there's not some red chair thing that you can point to. You mm -hmm. might be tempted to say, well... It's made true by whether you're going to be at a Chipotle later. I, I agree, but that just kicked the problem down the road of uh, if you're an A theory of time person, the future is not real. Yeah, there's not a real truth maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's kind of the the philosophical underpinnings for why open theism might be an attractive it's option. That genuine possibility is part of the furniture of the universe. The genuine possibility is a real thing. Mm -hmm. The future is genuinely open. Yeah, well, yeah. what's cool about the view is that on that tweaked description of what omniscience is, that is, God knows everything that's possible to know, I agree. I agree with that just as much as the oh, traditional yeah. person does. Yeah, yeah. It's just that we have a different philosophical view of what's possible what, to know. And what constitutes reality. That, that mm -hmm. There is no future. It's not... It's, it doesn't make sense to talk so about. So God knows all the things that are possible to know. It's just not possible to know the future. Now, to your point, uh, was it Rob, your mentor? Yeah. He, uh, he, he brought up a good point. Like, hey, we're not throwing all the baby out with the bathwater on the open theism view where God doesn't know with certainty infallibly the future. That doesn't mean um, that God isn't like a master strategist. Doesn't make him incompetent. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Combine, I mean, imagine how much ammunition you have in your inference toolbox. If you know everything that can be known. The entirety of the past, the entirety of the president. Or, <laughs> well, you would have that. You would. <laughs> you know about presidents. You'd also know about the present. Uh, and you just you would know everything that could unfold, like mm -hmm. the possible futures that could even probable. I mean, presumably, no even statistics. Pro even probability. You've got the best stats. You've you don't need to do studies. You don't need to. You you already know exact the exact probabilities of certain outcomes. Mm -hmm. So you've got a real advantage, even if you can't say that you know the. So future. I think God would have a very good grasp yeah. on things, and and so I don't think you fall short all that much in the providence department. I think that was one of your That was my big concern. concern was like, like, what if there's this little thing, this very improbable event where God's plan fails? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, 
one thing I noticed that was interesting, and this might be, this might just be the nature of philosophy of time and language and whatnot, but at, it is tough to talk about time without using space metaphors. Like I just noticed you earlier talking about God being outside of time and it's kind of over there and he's looking at it. Those are all spatial yes. metaphors. Even thinking about a B theory, I'm conceptually, I'm kind of conceptualizing a 3D loaf that is the universe uh -huh. that God sort of steps back from and looks at. But that can't be, something's wonky there in our language because like, for example, if you don't hold to an, what would it mean for God to exist outside of time? Because I want to say God exists now mm -hmm. in the present, right? Is he, does he exist in this present moment? No, he's outside of time. Uh, but like right now, does he exist? I want to say, yes, he does. If he ever exists anywhere, it's now. Uh, you know, I what, be, you yeah, know what I mean? Well, I'm just trying to, I want to represent the view while, uh, so William Lane Craig is a main uh, voice in this space. And also, I brought with me a little treat. <gasps> a um, treat. Here's this book, Divine Foreknowledge, Four Views. Greg Boyd, David Hunt, I had him as a professor. <coughs> uh, William Lane Craig also taught at Talbot. Never had him, but I've listened to a bunch of his stuff. And Paul Helm. And they're going to walk through four of the biggest... Responses. There's a bunch of these four views books, right? There's like it's atonement whole, four views. And, it's a whole series. Yeah, yeah, good yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's it's hard. It's it's pretty difficult. It's dense, right? Reading, yeah. yeah, yeah, for someone that's new to philosophy. But if you're interested, I'm borrowing pretty heavily from this. And okay. <clears throat> you were gonna quote Craig, I think. Craig, I think if I'm getting this right, would say that God existed ah temporally. Yes. But then um, at, the, at the moment of creation and, and time has not always existed. No, God existed he, without sans time. time. Yeah, yeah. Without time. Without time. So at the moment of creation, time begins and now God is in time. In yeah. So what, so part of the creation act is him entering into time. I do think that. And then you've got the incarnation with him entering into space. Uh, I, I can get on board with that. Another analogy I've heard is, is like, and again, you end up using spatial language. It's like, what if God's like outside of time, but he can like stick his hand in? Like you might stick your hand in a sink when you're right. washing dishes, but right. your whole body's not in there. I'm not really in the sink, uh -huh. but I am just coming in here to meddle with 1955 <laughs> and then I'll jump in at this other point in the timeline. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's it kind of, it's hard to really hold it before the mind. Yeah. What What's interesting though is like you said a moment ago, you think most people hold to an A theory? That's the intuition. Mm, I say that mostly because I think most people have a really strong sense of, like you use the phrase, temporal becoming. Yes. That um, moments are progressing into the future. Yeah. Uh, uh, am I saying that right? Just like it's the unfolding. idea that the present is the most real. This is what, yeah. It's certainly the most vivid. There's it's a like, spear's tip to time and that's a leading edge and it's going through, you know, there's... Going through what? I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the problem. Because like for a long time, I think, I think I maybe had a cognitive dissonance that I didn't realize where I would say the present is the most real, but I did kind of think there's a 2030 that's sort of out there that I'm marching towards, you know, and I can't see it, but it's coming towards me and then I will be in it. Um, mm. That's sort of how I operated. But it's only within the last few years that I've like the, the texture of how I think about time has changed 
to where it's not that I can't make plans. I know, I mean, I don't know. I hope 2030 will arrive with me in it. But I don't think it's out there in any way waiting for me or happening simultaneously. Or It's like there's just this. This is it. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, and maybe I'm wrong about like I made a sociology claim of or like of oh, what people it's speculation. To, I don't know, but I don't know what most people believe. But then you have views like, uh, or media like Back to the Future, yeah, and different things which that, I loved. As a that kid. are I a little bit movie. more B theory related. Like, <clears throat> hey, if we can just go over to 2015 and like that, and all. you end up with a bunch of paradoxes that really mess you up, right? When you, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's a movie that caused me to like bug my dad with questions more than Back to the Future when we watched it. I think I followed mm-hmm. like the week late, week after it. My little cogs were turning, trying to work out how this possibly could have made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent oh, Adventure. Yeah. Great, but there's a great scene. It's one of the more <laughs> consistent time travel movies. I agree. There's this, I think there's a scene where they're in a jail cell yeah. and they're trying to escape and they're like, oh man, if only we had the key. And it's something like, well, since we need the key, like, wouldn't we have known about that in the past? We'll just go back and have placed it here. And then he reaches down yeah. and it's under there. It's just like, once we get out, we'll just go back and yeah, put it under that's here. That's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it should be under the chair, right? Oh yeah. Great. <laughs> Let's just make sure we put this back there. Right. <laughs> well, in any case, back to like the topic at hand, like the tension that we initially started with, like why I think about this. Well, as it happens, the open theist view uh, rele- relieves some of that tension. Yes. Uh, <laughs> between like, I wanna be committed to God knows everything, but I also would like to remain committed to human beings have free will. On the open theist view, uh, God's knowledge does not threaten human freedom no. because my freedom res- uh, is, uh, has to do with future events. Yeah. And if God, if those things aren't possible to know, then God can't know them. Yep. And thus his knowledge doesn't undermine the freedom. One of the, tell me if you feel this as well. When I start to walk down this road, my understanding or my thinking about God's, uh, the privilege and responsibility that actually falls to us in co-creating with God on an open theist view. Like if the future is genuinely open, um, then it's less of, I have less of an attitude of God will sort it all out and it's going to be good. And more of like, a he doesn't, he's waiting to see what I'm going to do mm-hmm. and he's inviting me to participate. And I'm sure there's things he would prefer me to do or not do. Um, but in terms of the, the total set of what is, is left in part up to me mm-hmm. and up to you. Absolutely. And that's, that's crazy. Like that history is happening live. This is all unfolding in real time live and mm-hmm. that we really can influence the outcome of things for better or worse. Um, that carries with it a, a frightening responsibility, actually, you know, a weighty responsibility, but also yeah. a real privilege. Mm-hmm. And I would be remiss <clears throat> if I didn't point out that uh, the other views in this book, um, like the traditional foreknowledge view, Molinist, which we won't get into, but that's a whole other view, uh, and certainly like the Calvinist view, all maybe not him that's a different story but the middle two uh like the traditional i we want to hold both yes they they go to great lengths to explain how those are consistent and you don't need to go down the route of open theism to achieve that harmony and the harmony between freedom and sovereignty you're saying Mm -hmm. yeah 
uh, of no- or and knowledge, knowledge yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's gets it's gets complicated, um, but they're they have their reasons for it. Yeah, I've just have. Uh, so are you? Do you? Are you an open theist these days? I do. I find the just that philosophical argument really convincing. Yeah, the truth maker thing. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So it's I kind of arrived. I felt almost forced into adopting that theological doctrine on the basis of just what I take to be philosophy sound philosophy yeah yeah so ho- hopefully this conversation has sort of nudged the door open for you at least given you some permission to look at open theism or some of the other views if you've only sort of held to one view but you're starting to recognize tension between free will God's sovereignty or God's foreknowledge take a look there's other views out there you don't have to you don't have to stick to them try them on like a set of glasses mm-hmm. see how it feels yeah right on yeah that's the open to truth way <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my new tagline. No, it's not a good way to open the podcast. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for watching another episode. Um, yeah, feel free to write any questions or comments. We'd love to interact with those. Maybe address them in, in a future mailbag. Uh, if you like what we're doing and you want to support us, really, what we're trying to do, or at least from my end, I would like to grow the email subscriber list. Yeah. It just kind of shows. It lets me know who is like just even willing to sacrifice that little extra minute or two <laughs> to click to go well, ultimately we want to build a community yeah yeah right that's the goal so mm-hmm. and if we know who you are then we can we can do commun- that communicate yes <laughs> yeah right so you can go to open to slash subscribe and that's kind of like the little link tree that'll take you to the blog um episodes contact uh, form yep you name it all that Sweet. All right. Well, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, as always. uh, And we'll see you next time. Stay curious. Was my ending really weird there when I that's the open to truth way? No, no. (laughs) Is that like really (laughs) arrogant? No, no.